0: The following program is brought to you by Tastebud Entertainment. Food, food. Welcome to 2 hours of delicious conversation with chef Jamie Gwynn, dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors and food experts and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education and culinary trends and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. I
1: like that.
2: Well, good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwynn along with Lana in your radio. A good Sunday morning to you. Christmas is almost here, and we have holiday ideas that you'll love, fun and easy appetizers, festive drinks, doable menus, and everything you need to throw the ultimate party, and to serve the ultimate feast. The delicious conversation starts here and now. We welcome you to our kitchen. This is your culinary playground every Sunday morning for two hours of delicious conversation and fabulous food. Food is life, create and savor yours. A very happy holiday season to you. Good morning to you, Lana. Good morning. Happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays, no doubt. So let us tell you what is on your plate, because we have some fabulous food coming up. In just a bit, you're going to hear from Victor Novak. He is the brewmaster for Taps Fish House and Brewery, and his toasted Santa ale is a huge hit. Also coming up, Sam Sifton of the New York Times on Christmas Feasts. Plus, pastry chef Hetty Goldsmith is baking out loud, and we love her childhood memories and the desserts she has recreated to bring back all those fabulous flavors. And Kate Headings of Food & Wine Magazine is sharing a cookbook soon to be released that highlights America's greatest new cooks. And it's really a fabulous conversation. We caught up with her a week or so ago, so please stay tuned. The delicious conversation continues, and we're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And we hope you'll check out... The recipe of the week, which I'll talk about in just a bit. It's a spicy split pea soup that seems to be getting lots of fan favorites on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen, by the way. It's made with chorizo, and we're going to talk about that spicy twist. And, baby, it's cold outside, so why not put up a pot of soup today? Also, you'll find cook with Lana opportunities on the website where this week's recipe of the week is a raisin sauce for ham if you're putting together a fabulous ham for the holidays. Plus, you'll find recipes from uh, what you've heard here on the radio and a ginger snap sparkler, which is my two-ingredient cocktail inspiration for the holidays that I hope will ignite passions and glasses everywhere it is the simple brilliance of butterscotch schnapps or buttershots and champagne and it's really a beautiful way to serve a slightly sweet And luscious starter that allows everyone to toast and cheers and ring in the holidays. We'll start off this week with our technique of the week, hoping to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. We get lots of great requests. Lana, I love all the emails that we get. You can write to live at chefjamie.com or lana at chefjamie.com or jamie at chefjamie.com for that matter. Uh, With great cooks who want to learn more, Mm -hmm. our quail egg conversation was inspired by an email um, from someone who shops at Bristol Farms who wanted to know what to do with quail eggs, how Mm -hmm. to make the ultimate clafouti, how to make ricotta cheese at home, which, by the way, tastes so much better than the tub. And so we received a couple of emails, in fact, right around this holiday season about how to use puff pastry and so we thought this technique of the week was just perfectly appropriate for this last week or so of the year when there is time to pull out all the stops but you're looking for simple elegance so from frozen to fabulous this is the many uses for frozen puff pastry now when you need pastry or pie dough in a hurry Frozen puff pastry is like the king of chef-loved convenience foods. It's incredibly versatile. It can be used to make a huge variety of hors d'oeuvres or main courses or even sweets. Now, the traditional French pastry is made of layers of butter and dough, and it makes the classic French pastries that we love, like croissants and Napoleons and pommiers, which you make fabulous pommiers. I always learned growing up that that's what you made with the leftover pieces Of puff pastry, Lana, Mm -hmm. was pommiers, Mm -hmm. right? That's that crisp, lovely, some people call it an elephant ear cookie Mm -hmm. that's crusted with sugar and has all the layers of beautiful pastry.
1: And it could be sweet or savory. Mm. And And it's
2: always crispy. And it's so delicious. Mm
1: -hmm. It put pesto in it. Nice. Or sun-dried tomatoes.
2: See, I love that. I love that savory Mm. approach. Or crust with sugar or cinnamon and sugar and make a a sweet Mm -hmm. ending or an extra plate of cookies for the holiday party. Um, But also, the fact that you get this sort of crispy, buttery dream in just minutes is a wonderful way to consider using puff pastry in place of pie dough or uh, ma- regular pastry dough when you're making the savories that are main course options like chicken pot pie or quiche or vol-au-vent or of course for wellington so here are some tips if you would like to conquer the art of using puff pastry if that tickles your fancy um, first and foremost you always want to take the pastry out of the freezer 30 minutes before you want to use it put it on the counter let it come to cool temperature, I call it. Or you can thaw the puff pastry in the refrigerator overnight, but I suggest you leave it in the box. Do not unwrap the bag, the sealed wrapper that it comes in, because it keeps the puff pastry moist. We don't want it to dry out, and we want it to thaw on its own. Do not attempt to unfold the threefold letter Essentially, puff pastry design that it comes in. Most pre made puff pastry comes in sheets and it's folded like a threefold letter. And you want to make sure that you let it thaw before you start to unfold it or it will crack. If your dough does crack, you can dampen your fingers a little bit with water and press it together. And then when you go to roll it out, it always seems to come together again. So it's very pliable and workable and it shouldn't be daunting at all. Uh, you want to keep it cool. Uh, Another most important tip when it comes to working with puff pastry. And if you find that it's getting too warm or you've cut shapes, maybe the tops for your uh, chicken pot pies, you should always transfer them to a baking sheet and put them back in the refrigerator. Because here's the best tip I can give you about puff pastry. Puff pastry is easier to work with and it bakes up better when it's cold. So very important. Best to keep it Cold. Also, you want to brush your work surface with a little bit of flour so that it doesn't stick. And I like to keep a pastry brush. You taught me this, a dry pastry brush, Lana, right, on the counter so that you can brush the pastry uh, of any excess flour mm-hmm. when you're done working with it. Uh,
1: when when I'm making a cookie or even a savory mm-hmm. uh, cookie, I always put the uh, put them back in the refrigerator for thirty minutes
2: before you bake. Yes, you it's get better a...
1: to go. From the refrigerator to the oven with puff pastry, you'll get a better rise, better color.
2: Yeah, and you definitely get a better puff. And and that is because the natural water content of all those layers of butter creates steam. And when you take something cold, like the puff pastry from the refrigerator into the oven, that immediate burst of heat actually creates the rise, right? right. So you, you definitely get a higher, fluffier, butterier... Mm-hmm cookie. Mm -hmm. I work on
1: half sheet pans, a small sheet pan with parchment on the bottom. And that way, you could just go from the refrigerator to the oven.
2: You can definitely consider using frozen puff pastry for, let's say, a tomato strudel with goat cheese and niçois olives or mini caramelized onion tarts with bacon or gorgonzola. That's a great, easy hors d'oeuvre. You can always make homemade sweet strudels, I like to call them, by combining, let's say, good quality canned pitted cherries with some sugar, some hey-la-la vanilla paste, spoon it into four-by-four squares of puff pastry, Fold one edge over to make a triangle. You seal the edges like you make a blueberry turnover, Lana, that I love. And it's simple and easy. You could use any berry. And then bake them off till they're puffed and beautiful and drizzle them with sea salt caramel. And voila, you have dessert. Now,
1: are you doing the bottom and the top?
2: Well, I liked when you folded them over and you got a, a triangle, like ah, a turnover yes, of sorts. Yes. Yes. There's one that you make too with ricotta cheese that I love.
1: Ah, breakfast uh, Danish.
2: A breakfast Danish. More or
1: less, you can make them the night before. Just cut them into four inch squares. Mix together some uh, ricotta cheese and a little mascarpone, a touch of sugar, grated mm-hmm. lemon zest. Lemon. And <laughs> put it just. It's really a tablespoon right in the middle of that pastry, and pull the points together beautiful two or four points leave them on your uh, half cookie sheet and put them in the oven in the morning
2: Egg wash before they go in? uh, Yes.
1: A little bit of beaten egg. It's a take on Ina Garten's recipe. Yeah,
2: and it's It's just delicious. If you love cheese Danish, this is better than you've ever had. Mm -hmm. There are recipes for a pistachio blue cheese and fig puff pastry twist um, that we love to make, along with caramelized mushroom tarts, turnovers, and even an apple and pear tartetan. all posted at chefjamie.com under the technique of the week. Check it out.
1: And don't forget the top of chicken pot pie. Yes. With it. Or sure. any of your little pies, whether they be sweet or savory.
2: Yeah, from frozen to fabulous, the many uses of frozen puff pastry. And we're hoping, too, that you'll continue to elevate your level of culinary knowledge, that you'll continue to cook with us, that you'll come cruise with us. Because if you love to indulge in fabulous food and fine wine, then we hope you'll join... Our next listener's cruise aboard the world's most delicious cruise line. It is Oceana's Marina cruise ship. I will be cooking with you in the Bon Appetit Culinary Center, a private cooking class at sea, along with a food and wine seminar, private shore excursion, uh, wonderful dinners with our food-loving group as we experience the brilliance and the beauty of the Baltics. We are traveling next September 2013, and there is still room available prices started about forty five hundred dollars per person including free round trip airfare lana if you would just highlight the one city you can't wait to go to
1: uh Tallinn, estonia
2: yes me too
1: where the cows eat the special grass yes uh which makes the milk and the cappuccino taste very special
2: yeah and supposedly these cows are only for milk Four cappuccinos. Mm-hmm. This is a coffee-loving region. Very exciting. And really what uh, is said to be Europe's foremost food uh, f- extravaganza right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really where the best restaurants in the world are. So please come travel with us. We hope to see you on board. There's more information at chefjamie.com and foodandwinetrails.com. And the delicious conversation continues right after this. Uh, we're we're toasting you. Uh, cheers in fact. We're sharing beers for the holidays and the best pairing. So don't touch your dial, Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio.
3: Season's Eatings, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, as the holiday season and the delicious conversation in your radio continue. Okay, pop open a growler. This conversation is for beer lovers, where passionate beer and wine lovers rejoice is right here and when the weather turns cold it's time to seek out the king of all seasonal beers brewed stronger and richer and more full-bodied so that when you have that roaring fire or you're spreading holiday cheer with friends you are drinking the right beer and food pairing joining us is taps fish house and brewery award-winning brewmaster victor novak with his arsenal of great stouts and ales and so much more we're glad to have you back on the radio good morning to you victor
4: good morning jamie always great to be here
3: well thank you glad to have you of course okay talk to us about beer for winter food pairings because christmas feasts big hearty meals we need cold weather beers that are meant to really warm the body and the soul, right? And those that are very spicy tend to match very well with the spices of holiday cooking.
4: Absolutely. You know, not so much of a a cold winter here in Southern California, but when I was living in Philadelphia, (laughs) these were great. Uh, We essentially call them winter warmers. Mm. The ABV goes up into the kind of eight to 12 range. They kind of Warm you up a little bit, and they're bigger, and they're richer, and they're maltier, and they're they're darker and stronger. Yet, yeah, to sort of brace you and get you ready for maybe a cold evening if you have to head out or something. But Yeah, they're fantastic.
3: Right, and in Southern California, we can we can sort of pretend that it's truly chilly. So that we can pop open a growler. And in many parts of the country, it is going to be, or is expected already to be, a very cold winter. So give us, if you would, a a general description of some of the flavor profiles of a couple of your favorite winter beers.
4: One of them would be Delirium Noel. So it has sort of this deep reddish-brown color. It's malty. It's got sort of hints of raisin and fig and dried plums. And they Mm -hmm. tend to spice it sometimes, you know, with, say, some ground ginger and... Cinnamon and orange peel, almost fruitcake-like, you know, but in a good way. You know, the steak, of course, has that reputation where you kind of want to re-gift it, but that would be fantastic. There's one that I absolutely love that's no longer made anymore. It's called Leafman's Blue Creek, blue meaning glow, and it's a sour cherry beer that's spiced, and you actually it's sort of like mulled wine where you pop the cork, it's actually got a cork, and then you uh, warm it up to about 140 degrees or so slowly and then pour it into a glass, and it's warm and spicy and lots of cherry, mm. and it's amazing. It's actually still made, but I think you can only get it in Europe. I tried to get it recently, and they said they don't really import it into the U.S. anymore, but that was fantastic. There's a similar version called Kelke Shows from Unibrew out of Canada, but they, again, just said they have they don't plan on making it for the next couple of years, so kind of a tease there. But I was going to say! Of <laughs> they're amazing. I mean, they're just, again, sort of that mold beer, really, instead of mold wine. They're, they're
3: it sounds very much like a warm mold wine, which I happen to love. Can you name, uh, aside from your own, which we will get to, uh, the Taps brews have been, as I mentioned, award winning year after year after year, and they are made by Victor and his team. And if you haven't, sipped one lately. They are incredible, and you can bring a growler home for the holidays from Taps Fish House and Brewery, Breyer, or Corona. Can you name a beer, since you just teased us with two that we can't get, that we can get our hands on at retail?
4: Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, one that the most brewers and beer aficionados look for every single year is Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale. It's basically an IPA, hoppy, a little more malt character, a little higher in ABV. That's fantastic. Santa Little Helper, Port Brewing, yeah, it's a great one.
3: Love uh, the uh, name.
4: Yeah, Jubilee from the chute. And then the brewery over there in Placentia has a great little thing going where the kind of 12 days of winter, mm-hmm. partridge in a pear tree, two turtle doves, you know, basically counting down. Well, this year they're on the five golden rings. <laughs> so they've done the four calling birds. They've done the three French hens. They've done the two turtle doves and the partridge in the pear trees. They, uh theirs this year is nice and malty with a lot of pineapple character. So every year they change it up. It's not the same beer, and they just capture those 12 days of Christmas and and name it after. Of course, next year will be something different. But, uh, yeah, really a great kind of line they have going through there.
3: I love that you embrace beers from other brewmasters from other areas of the world. The big winter ales that you're talking about I know are best paired with uh, big bold flavors but balanced on your palate so a pasta with a rich sauce or powerful cheeses like gorgonzola a yep. good pairing here for the ales right uh, ethnic dishes thai dishes peanut sauce definitely has enough punch to stand up to a winter ale and then for dessert this is like spice cake uh, carrot cake apple pie pairing right
4: sound amazing. Yeah, the, I
3: know. I'm getting hungry already.
4: <laughs> and they, the spicy dish, you mentioned the Thai and the Viet and, and even spicy Mexican, of course. Um, it, these beers all have the sort of malty or sweeter backbone mm-hmm. that can easily stand up to those uh, the, the heat of those uh, all those dishes.
3: Now, talk to us, too. I know that Imperial Russian Stout is one of your winter picks, and it has a very a distinct sort of smokiness to it, does it not?
4: Yeah, it's made with a lot of nicely roasted barley and, um, yeah, has a little bit of smoke, uh, but mainly kind of a, a roasty character, uh, almost coffee-like, and then they do tend to hop them a little bit higher. so. But, again, having a malt backbone to balance all those hops, they'll, they'll get into sort of, again, 8 to 10, 12 range. So you don't need a lot. You're generally drinking these out of a tulip, a uh, nicely shaped glass, and, and bring out the aromatics, and they're you know, eight this primarily what you're going to be drinking with these but they they're really
3: wonderful I want to just clarify for those that don't know you hear Victor say ABV alcohol by volume and the richer and the heartier these beers get usually the higher the alcohol so like you say we change the glass we sip accordingly there's an interesting controversy in the food and wine and beer world and one you and I have talked about before and that is that stout is a particularly great pairing to raw oysters but I know that you don't particularly agree.
4: I don't agree at all. No, I love oysters raw oysters on a half shell, and that is the tradition or classic pairing is oysters and stout. In fact, they even make a beer called an oyster stout. Those folks back east called Yard. They make great oyster stout. Yeah, I would much prefer something like our cream ale. To be honest, something lighter and smoother. Ours has got a little bit of residual sweetness because oysters are very delicate, sometimes a little fruity, a little briny. And if you hit them, you know, with a big, heavy stout, you lose that sort of delicate flavor of the oyster where something lighter like a cream ale will complement that and they'll both pair really
3: beautifully. And that's what I like to sit at your raw bar, eat oysters, drink your cream ale. That's a holiday as far as I'm concerned almost every day a good winter holiday oh you're so spoiled i love it okay there is a new holiday ale that you have debuted at taps in brea just a couple of weeks ago in fact and we talked about your holiday ale and its creation because you ran a facebook contest in fact to name it so if you would please disclose the seasonal beer and uh, tell us all about your creation
4: We've never done a holiday beer before, so ownership kind of challenged my brewers and I to come up with something. So we definitely love the the Belgian character because the yeast character in Belgian beer is very fruity, tend to be very spicy in and of themselves without adding any spice. And then we added some ground ginger, some blackstrap molasses, which came out in the beer more sort of anise-like, a little bit of black licorice. And then a touch of ground cinnamon. We didn't want to add too much cinnamon because we already make a pumpkin ale and we didn't want them tasting too similar. And then the name, yeah, one of our bartenders actually won the contest, and we named the beer Toasted Santa because there are a couple grains in there that we use, a uh, biscuit malt and an aromatic malt that are very toasty, uh, and they add, a, you know, a nice little, slightly toasty uh, flavor notes to the beer. And then, of course, Santa, after a long night of passing out presents and whatnot, if you have a couple of these, you'll.
3: Well, and and he deserves it. He deserves a good beer after that. I know you recommend the Toasted Santa with your charcuterie and cheese platter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Roasted meats, right? Like, oh, a good um, roasted rack of lamb or even lamb chops would be nice.
4: Caramel character to that as well. Right.
3: And then anything sweet like um, a creme brulee, custardy, really, you know, lovely mouthfeel, even tiramisu, I'm thinking, would be really nice with the spice.
4: In many ways, these are dessert beers, so that would be absolutely great, yeah.
3: Okay, bring it on. Start the fire. We'll spread holiday cheer. You can certainly buy growlers of your favorite of brewmaster Victor Novak's creations. His beers available at Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea and Corona and at The Catch in Anaheim. And we will most certainly be picking up a growler or two so that we can uh, celebrate the season and toast you, Victor, for sure. And we'll be coming into the restaurant too so we can do it glass to glass. I want to mention as well uh, that Taps is partnering with Food Bank for the holidays. Now through December 30th, the Heart of Downtown Food Bank for the fourth consecutive holiday season is benefiting from those who bring in a $25 or more gift card to Ralph's Supermarket. You actually receive a certificate to dine at TAPS for their Sunday brunch extravaganza worth $36 per person. And the Food Bank uses the cards to purchase proteins that are often in short supply at the food banks. And so we certainly honor and congratulate you on your philanthropy and the taps family too and we thank you for creating holiday haps at taps i love it and uh the toasted santa and cheers to you victor we uh, look forward to more award-winning beers from uh, your uh, master collection in the uh, new year to come
4: Thank you, and, and salute, and happy mm-hmm. holidays to everyone.
3: And thank you, thank and you. happy holidays to you. Learn more at tapsfishhouse.com and stay with us as the delicious conversation continues. We guarantee we will continue to make you hungry and thirsty right here. Don't go away. For
1: we need a little
3: Christmas right this very minute. Candle Welcome back. A delicious holiday season to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. It's such a pleasure to invite and welcome such a distinguished food writer to this show for the first time. Sam Sifton is in your radio with us, the national editor of the New York times, the newspaper's former restaurant critic and a food columnist for the Sunday times magazine. He is one of America's most notable food writers. And we hope that his book Thanksgiving, how to cook it well came in handy, uh, as we all roasted a glorious centerpiece of a Turkey, uh, at Thanksgiving this year Uh, but there are always uh, new and incredible culinary tricks and tips to learn to perfect that turkey and to improve upon holiday meals so Sam is joining us live and we are delighted good morning to you Sam
5: Good morning.
3: Very nice to have you here for the first time.
5: Yes, well, I hope you'll have me back if I don't mess it up too much. Oh,
3: I can't imagine. Not at all. You have quite an extraordinary history in food, and you've parlayed that so much so as the national editor of the New York Times with the fact that you've been in newspaper reporting and editing and happened to have worked in the school system as well um, for so many years. But how was it that you took uh, food to that next level?
5: Well, that's a, a nice question. I started cooking for money in college as a way to pay the bills. And while I wanted always to be a newspaper reporter and to work in journalism and to write for a living... I needed to make a living in order to get there, and I found that I did that in restaurant kitchens. And it was really exciting to me to have this creative outlet that was very different from the business and culture of writing and asking questions. It's quite the opposite. It's, um, it, it's uh, a much more blue-collar job than a white-collar job cooking is although um newspapers and, and restaurant kitchens share a lot as well, a hyper adrenalized environment most notably. Um, so I came into newspapers with some knowledge of, of the restaurant world and of the food world and I've always managed to kind of link them a little bit. Sometimes um you know, in in a big way as when I was the restaurant critic or when I ran the dining section and now you know running national news it's a little bit different but I still keep my hand in and as I say write that uh, column for the Sunday Times Magazine about cooking and
3: with that said Sam seeing that you do always seem to intertwine food uh, Thanksgiving has passed but Christmas is quickly approaching and I happen to love Thanksgiving how to cook it well your I call it um, a little novel because it really is it's, it's all the terms and types and tips that you need to exercise Execute a brilliant Thanksgiving. And I know we spoke about it prior to this interview. You had a couple of hairy days. Even great cooks do when it comes to big meals. But what can we learn from Thanksgiving? What is the lesson that we could take with us into the next feasting holiday?
5: Well, I think, you know, with the holidays coming up, the, um, the, the lessons of Thanksgiving, which are essentially to plan, to cook a big meal to share it with friends and family and to give thanks to those friends and family when you do hold through throughout the year i would like to think that this thanksgiving book of mine works as a sort of manual to a nice sunday dinner with friends and family But it really works for these feasts. And as we go into the holiday season of December, I think just my little chapter on how to set the table could come in handy, whether you're cooking a turkey or a goose or a ham or a giant roast beef.
3: Very true. So talk to us about how to set the table. I love your ideas of simplicity. Those were the two things that I really got most from that chapter area of the book was simplicity and planning ahead.
5: Right, and I, I think that both come into, into play when you're setting the table. The point of setting the table, in my mind, and I say in the book that it, you should set the table as if for a sacrament, as if for something almost holy, and I actually believe that. It sounds kind of silly, but I actually believe that if you set the table, if you take care not to have the fanciest or best stuff, but to have stuff that, that kind of matches or at least is laid out as if it matched, and with a napkin for everyone, and a water glass, and a wine glass, that this sends a message to the people who gather around the table that this is a special moment, that it matters more than when we open the pizza box in front of the television, that it's different from a Saturday night of burgers and beer and the like, that this is a meal into which a lot of care and love and attention has been Uh, put and that attention should be paid to that fact.
3: I think that is a respect that holiday meals have earned and one that you need to reinforce because it does set the mood. I agree with you for sure. And, And depending upon what you walk into in someone's home or if you're hosting at your own home, the table sets the festivity, the feel. And I think it says so much about how you do present the food. And I agree with you very much in that mentality.
5: It can be casual. But it can never be less than formal if we can kind of draw that paradox out. Because you do want to change people's behavior, right? We don't choose our families. We choose to share our holidays with our families. And there are these moments where are the kids going to act right? Is Uncle Morty going to get drunk again? (laughs) How do people act around the table? If you can kind of, as a host, codify that a little bit by setting it up, by assigning seats and the like, you can kind of engineer a little bit more fun into the evening or afternoon than you might otherwise get. I think it's extraordinarily important to set that table So as as you say, set the mood.
3: Yes, definitely so. And we will do so for Christmas, for sure. And we celebrate Hanukkah, Lana and I. What is your holiday feasting centerpiece? What will you be making come uh, the end of the month here?
5: Well, it's going to be a big battle. My mother, who is a terrific cook and a very precise and serious dinner party creator, loves to cook a goose at uh, Christmas. And while Thanksgiving is my holiday, I cook it always. My mother is a big part of our Christmas plans, and she will want to make this goose. I love a goose, but I find it to be a difficult animal for a family meal. So I'll be advocating for another turkey or perhaps a ham. A couple years ago, we started with a smoked goose, which is a fantastic centerpiece. Oh, have not had
3: one, Sam. Oh,
5: Jamie, you got to do it. You got to do it. Like as soon as we get like off, like right air, now, you need to go to the internet and just search smoked, smoked
0: goose, goose.
5: And they cost like eight million dollars of goose. <laughs> but when they arrive, they're like these hams made out of goose, and it it's 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 an incredible. I tell friends who keep kosher, get a smoked goose. <laughs> because then you'll know what ham is is is
3: like smoky and salty and oh, just so umami and oh it, my gosh it, i'm salivating
5: fantastic it is the ham of poultry Okay. Um, By the
3: way, you've heard it here. Sorry to interrupt you, Sam, but everyone needs to know that if you've just woken up, you're late because the great Sam Sifton is here and in your radio, of course, at the helm of the New York Times. Um, But for those of us foodies, most important to note that he was um, for many years, the newspaper's restaurant critic. He is an accomplished author and most importantly, a spectacular cook. And he just told you to get a smoked goose and I believe you should listen. Yes. Now go on, please. Tell us more.
5: Oh, it's great. So you eat the whole thing, and then you're left with the smoked goose carcass, and oh. you can use that for making beans. You can use it to make a stock that would, oh, it's Oh, over
3: the top delicious. You know what I think that would pair beautifully with? Because I've been going through your Thanksgiving How to Cook It Well book prior to Thanksgiving and post. And I agree with you. Many of these dishes apply to a Sunday supper or if you're planning a dinner party. And I love the roasted cauliflower with anchovy breadcrumbs because that's very wintry to me. And I I am th- actually forecasting, Sam, that anchovy is going to be one of the top ten ingredients that definitely either come back or make a name for themselves in 2013?
5: Well, I hope they do, but I'm not sure that they will. People get a little freaky about anchovies. And yeah, one of the that's things true. That I say in the top note, as we call it in the trade, to this recipe, the writing above the recipe, is that one of the secrets to success in that roasted cauliflower recipe is not to tell anyone that, that there's there are anchovy. any anchovies in it. Because people freak out at the anchovy. I love an anchovy. You love an anchovy. Maybe your listeners love anchovies. But a lot of people at my table are like, anchovies? I'm not going to eat that. But... I serve them this thing, I say nothing about what's in it, and they love it. Yes,
2: because it's,
3: again, going back to that salty, umami, really round, fabulous flavor. And that's the kind of ingredient anchovies to me. You might not be able to put your finger on it, but it sure tastes good.
5: Right. And hopefully you can't put your finger on it, because that's <laughs> when people start to... F- Is it they're fish in there? <laughs> no. It's just, no,
3: not at all. Don't worry. It's, it's
5: like... Don't have worry some more, right?
3: Right. <laughs> Could we post the recipe though on the website? Because of course
5: you can. Thank I hope you. you. Do and I hope that people like it, and I hope they come back and get the book mm. and use it for Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and every, and Easter and every holiday.
3: And we plan to definitely, Sam. If you'll please stay with us, we need to take a quick break. There's more cooking and entertaining right after this.
0: Chestnuts roasting on an open fire.
3: Christmas is nearly here. Do not panic. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio, we're dishing with New York Times columnist and now editor Sam Sifton as the delicious conversation continues. Um, We'd like to better get to know you. So this is, if you don't mind, at the close here, a couple of questions so that we can uh, know Sam Sifton.
1: Sure. Okay, Lana, you go first. Uh, Sam, I'd love to know, do you miss restaurant criticism?
5: Lana, Um. I ate out nights a week minimum uh, when I was the New York Times restaurant critic, Mm -hmm. and I did that for a number of years. I ate many lunches as well, the occasional breakfast, and this is, it's like death by massage. It's it's a wonderful way to live your life, but it's also a very, very difficult way to live your life. Mm -hmm. The amount of food that I consumed uh, in that job was astonishing, and I did so under the cover of anonymity, on using fake names, and with many. I was like Jason Bourne, but eating all the time. And it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult, stressful, marvelous job that is much more difficult uh, to, to, to perform, I think, than people understand just because of the sheer amount of food that you, you put away. That said, I do miss some of those meals, and I certainly miss my byline.
3: Ah, well, the byline will always be with you, Sam. And it, and I will tell you from a food perspective and from someone in the industry, you are immensely admired, not only for your culinary skill and your range, but also for your ability to put it into words. And the prose themselves, I think, will always be cherished from the times that you were writing about food. And then today editing, uh, certainly an impressive job, no doubt. So leave us with, since that food passion of yours continues your top three essential ingredients in cooking three ingredients that your kitchen would never be without
5: well there's always butter in my kitchen yes I follow julia child in this absolutely you must 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 have butter you need salt as well but i'm, I'm going to assume everyone has salt having sweet butter is absolutely crucial it's crucial to my cooking I find that I use soy sauce more than mm. perhaps you know people would think. I like I like it. You mentioned umami, that fifth sense earlier. I like the roundness and, and saltiness that it brings um, to my cooking. And for a third. I'll give you the simple, uh, it's ginger, and I will give you, like, the. can I give you a quick recipe? Yes, Super please, fast, go for it. I stole from Mark Bittman, my colleague here at the New York Times. Another great talent. And he stole it from Jean-Georges von Gerichten, a hugely talented chef here yes. in New York. Simplest thing in the world, I take a really thin steak, my kids go crazy for this. I make some white rice, I just take a supermarket steak, like, not even an awesome steak, just an okay steak. <laughs> And then I take an unbelievable amount of butter, sweet butter, like more butter than you are like. Maybe he's using too much butter is what you want to think. Okay. No, lots and lots and lots of butter. And I heat that up until it foams in the pan. Then I put this thin steak in there, and I let it get going and cooking and cooking. And it's going to crust up a little bit, not so much that you're burning the butter, but everything is kind of great. Now I'm going to flip it over, and I'm going to put into the pan a huge huge handful of chopped ginger. So I've got ginger and sweet butter and this steak cooking in it. Oh my goodness. It's going. It's going now like four minutes past, five minutes past. I'm going to hit it with just a splash of soy sauce. And now I swirl all that around and I serve it steak with that buttery, gingery, slightly soy inflected sauce,
3: oh white rice
5: and some greens. That's what you'll find me eating at home with my children. In my fantasy meal.
3: Brilliant. It will be on my table tonight, Sam. And I will be finding you on Facebook to let you know how genius it was.
5: Great. I hope you do. Definitely
3: so. Thank you. What a fabulous recipe, Lana. Okay, now we know if you want to come over what's on my dinner table. It is a pleasure, Sam, and thank you. Very much an honor to have you on the radio, and we hope you'll come back and join us.
5: Anytime. Please. Thank you both very much.
3: Absolutely. A pleasure. Sam Sifton, former New York Times restaurant critic, breaking down what you can learn from chefs and his extraordinary advice. Thanksgiving next year, by the way? Just months away. So grab the book now, right? It's going to come quick, Sam. It's called Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well. He is Sam Sifton. And don't miss it. He continues to pen the Sunday Times Magazine column devoted to translating restaurant dishes to the home kitchen. And we always
2: look forward to seeing you there on Sunday. Thank you again, Sam. What a super cool guy. We caught up with Sam Sifton just this past week. And we wish him and his family a very Merry Christmas as we do you We are continuing to satiate your culinary dreams right here and in your radio. And as mentioned, we hope you'll check out chefjamie.com because the recipe of the week is to warm you up. Uh, I think there's nothing that beats the winter chill like a steaming bowl of soup. And my spicy split pea soup is made with chorizo, which if you're not a chorizo lover, add a ham hock to impart flavor. But made simply in your slow cooker or your crock pot, this is a fabulous spicy version of split pea soup along with some Texas toast maybe or a good piece of garlic bread and a great green salad. You have dinner tonight ready and waiting for you. And you know what? The soup tastes better the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Why not have a soup party this winter? You'll find delicious inspiration at chefjamie.com. Grab a snack and come on back. There's a whole nother hour of fabulous food right here in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana Don't go away.
0: Welcome to the second hour of Delicious Conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now.
2: Delicious holiday recipes, cocktail inspiration. What's on your Christmas menu? We have dessert ideas, brunch recipes for make-ahead dishes, and more at chefjamie.com. Good morning to you, food lovers. Every Sunday morning, two hours of delicious conversation and fabulous food in your radio, KFWB, News Talk 980, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana. A very happy, merry holiday season mm-hmm. to you. May you eat, drink, and be merry this week. And please do join us next Sunday as we will be live to ring in the new year and celebrate with you prior to to 2013 coming up this hour in just a moment Kate Headings of Food & Wine magazine is highlighting the newest cookbook soon to release from Food & Wine called America's Greatest New Cooks and it's really interesting it highlights the rising stars across the country some of their best dishes what they love to cook and what I think is a continuing trend for 2013 and that is our true passion for pork also coming up Hetty Goldsmith she's the pastry chef for Michael's Gen. Made famous in Florida with more restaurants opening. She makes childhood memories come alive with her desserts from her new book called Baking Out Loud, and she will be with us. Plus, we're going to share our Christmas menu before the end of the hour and also highlight some quick fixes. A few uh, shows ago, I talked about just dipping a cut. Fig the cut side, into granulated sugar and then using a blowtorch to brulee it. And you wouldn't believe how many people went absolutely crazy about this two-ingredient, what I call quick fix, to really jazz up a cheese plate. So Lana and I this week put together an entire list of quick fixes. And, Lana, if you would just highlight one, throw one out there.
1: I love the idea of taking Nilla wafers and making your own white thin mints. Oh, of yes. dipping them into white chocolates and then uh, scattering some crushed peppermint cookies or
2: candies on top. And really, it does taste like a white thin mint. They're mm-hmm. so good. We're sharing more quick fixes throughout this hour, so please stay tuned. But first, let's catch up with Kate Heading, so that you can learn about America's Greatest New Cooks and where you should be dining.
3: And I am mad crazy about it. It's called Food & Wine, America's Greatest New Cooks. Spectacular recipes with fresh ideas from Tomorrow's Stars. Food and Wine gathered recipes from 12 of the country's most exciting talents for its new cookbook. And these are the chefs that should be on your radar. These are dishes that will impress. And we are delighted that the contributor to this book, executive editor Kate headings of the book food and wine america's greatest new cooks and the deputy food editor of food and wine magazine and she joins us live we're glad to have you kate good morning Good morning. I'm so pleased to be with you today. I know that you and Dana and a whole team went out and scoured the country and searched for these new rising stars. And these are incredible talents. Tell us what it was like to have the oh, very tough job of having to go and uh, and experience these wonderful places.
6: For any of us who work here, it's one of the best things we get to do because we do at the magazine. The core of what we do is look for look for who's going to be next on. The, you know, on the food scene. And, you know, while we love the great ones as you do, mm. you know, we want to see who's up and coming. So while we're traveling, we travel for all different things. We always have our eyes open to the undiscovered talent.
3: Very true. As you said, I mean, there are great luminaries in the food world and many of them have graced the show, but it's always exciting to me from my culinary background to see the next generation of chefs and what they're inspired by, and what the trends will be, and to be able to forecast what to expect on the plate in the coming years. From reading through the book, we know that nose to tail is as popular as ever. Thank you, Fergus Henderson. That's true. (laughs) That's true, right? And tell us what other trends you forecast or expect for us to see in 2013.
6: Well, you know, I'm sure you've seen it already. The vegetable trend is just out of control. And I'll tell you what I think a lot of people haven't thought about. The whole family of brassicas. Do you know what brassicas are?
3: If you would define them, describe them. You know, I
6: can't, I'll can't. i do the best I can in terms of defining. It's the whole family of sort of the romescos and cauliflowers and broccolis and those sort of greens they are going to catch like fire we're starting to see the sort of the more beautiful unusual ones like romesco in farmers markets right we i feel like every chef wants to do sort of the brassicas recipe, which I love because I love broccoli and I love cauliflower, and this is sort of a fancier name for that family of vegetables. Right. So I definitely like, think you're going to be see a lot of that.
3: Very ornamental, right? So the romesco, beautiful. yeah, they're beautiful. Exactly. Some of the cone-shaped and the more decorative cauliflower that you see fall under this family. So there's there's something very beautiful on the plate about them, but then they offer that wonderful sort of rustic vegetable component to a dish. Um, that, as you said, we're seeing a, a great popularity uh, on the plate. Talk to us about some of these wonderful restaurants. And, in fact, I've already cooked from the book, Kate.
6: And what did you make?
3: Okay, I made the cookie that you found.
6: I so, You know, I was in San Francisco last year, and I was eating all around town. And there was a woman named Belinda Leong who has a very small little pop-up. And she makes a pastry called kunyaman, which I don't know if everyone's familiar with it. A very buttery, flaky, sugary baked pastry mm-hmm. that is completely addictive and delicious. And I think it, that's another trend you're going to be seeing a lot of this year. I feel like it's going to be in every good bakery across America. It's just that good. But she makes, like to me, the perfect version of that as well as tons of other things So I sort of hooked on to her. She's just about to open in San Francisco a little shop called Bee Patisserie. She did this chocolate brownie cookie, which just blew our team away. And apparently you as well.
3: Yes, and I will say it is probably, and you're right to mark your word, one of the best cookies I've ever made and ever eaten. It's really, if you start the recipe, you realize that you're essentially making the batter of a molten or lava cake. You've beaten the egg, right, with the sugar until it's really thick and light and pale and then melted together butter and chocolate. I mean, now you're at flourless chocolate cake, really. That's right. That's true. And then you add a little bit of flour, a little bit more than our traditional Lana flourless chocolate Mm -hmm. cake, and some salt and powder. And interestingly enough to me, you then chill the batter itself, which has this fluffy, beautiful quality to it. And then you spoon it out and bake these cookies that have this crusty, delicious, oh, my God, Kate.
6: Yes, I agree. So They're good. oh, my God, good. They should be called, oh, my God,
3: cookies. <laughs> oh, they should. Um, <laughs> that is Belinda Leong. And you can look for her new patisserie in San Francisco called Bee Patisserie. She makes a cherry clafouti that looks just gorgeous, too.
6: It's funny you brought that up. That is actually one of the other recipes that she did that was so... I, was, I mean, they're all outstanding, but this was just one of the best clafoutis ever. And that's interesting because it's not usually made with flour. And she does like to add a little flour to add texture to the custard, really. Mm-hmm. This was a fantastic version and and really easy. I mean, it's sort of a one-step recipe, which I'm always sort of attracted to because I think, you know, mm-hmm. it's nice to have things that are easy.
1: Oh, I love clafoutis for that reason. And the cherries are so holiday
6: inspired,
1: yes. Exactly. They
3: are very festive.
7: Beautiful. Speaking
3: Completely. of this Clifudi, Kate, I know that all of these recipes were tested in the food and wine kitchen. And we've heard rumor to the fact that your kitchen itself is sort of functioned after a home kitchen. And I think that's just wonderful to prove that these restaurant recipes can be duplicated.
6: One of the things that we always do, we get in, as in this book, we got in 100 recipes from chefs. And chefs are used to working in professional kitchens where the burners are much hotter. The, everything is different. It's very important that when we get in the recipes that we then say, "Okay, if it says to do it over moderate heat in a restaurant kitchen, what is that going to be in a home you know from a home stove that you know where the gas may not be as high, et cetera, et cetera So our kitchen definitely is fashioned after home kitchen, and mm. it just makes everything we do sort of translate perfectly for home
7: cooks. I think
3: that's wonderful for all of us to have the peace of mind that we can create this elevated level of creative dishes in our own kitchen. By the way, if you've just tuned in, good morning. Chef Jamie went along with Lana in your radio, you're late because Kate Headings is here and she is the executive editor of a new book just released, Food and Wine just released in fact, America's Greatest New Cooks and it's a collection of 100 recipes highlighting 10 of the nations Brightest Talents Rising Stars And this is a Stocking Stuffer If there ever was mm-hmm. one This is a gift For foodies This holiday season To be able to Give the gift Of new recipes From upcoming chefs How great is that?
6: I think this book Is definitely a keeper It should be on Everybody's mm-hmm. shelf Yes it, it runs the gamut too I mean we We really aim to get Across sort of A cultural mix of You know there's Italian food There's Greek food There's the Middle Eastern There's very American Southern food So I think that there's something for everyone in this book. And, and one of the other things we wanted to do is make it accessible. So, and, and, you know, with chefs, recipes can sometimes go a little off the deep end. I feel like everyone here was terrific about really thinking, you know, what can I bring to a home cook? And mm. in this book, I think a home cook will be very satisfied.
1: Very much so. I really think of it as spectacular recipes with fresh ideas.
3: Yes, very Mm. much so. Mm. Now, I will tell you, there's a a BLT in the book that doesn't look so bad either.
6: Jimmy Banos, I don't know how familiar you are with him. He is a chef in Chicago with the Purple Pig. He has a very lusty kind of cooking style. Yes. And he has an interesting background. He's half Italian, half Greek. And at his restaurant, it's, it's all about, I mean, it's called the Purple Pig, so it's all about the pig. His BLTs, though... You know, it's everything you want it to be. There is just, and it's fresh. What I love about his cooking is he doesn't get so caught up in the meat that he forgets that, you know, it's nice to add some basil and arugula and parsley to this sort of luscious bacon and runny egg sandwich. Mm. Oh, my gosh. We'll take
3: a quick break right there at Runny Egg Sandwich. There is more with Kate Headings, editor of Food & Wine, America's Greatest New Cook's cookbook. Trust me, you want to add this book to your collection. Don't touch your dial. We will continue to make you hungry right after this.
6: Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas
3: party hop. We're getting fresh with you this morning, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Ideas and inspiration to eat better and live better. We're dishing about the newest cookbook release from Food & Wine, America's Greatest New Cooks, The Rising Stars, and inspiration happening from 12 of the best chefs across the country. These are the restaurant reservations, trust me, you want to make. These are the recipes that you want to try. We were just touching on the fried egg BLT with arugula aioli. And I have to tell you, that makes me want to eat that page, Lana, this piece of paper right here. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine it has um, baby arugula and frisée, and then the herbaceousness of parsley and basil leaves. There's a garlicky mayo, right, Kate? And then this rustic bread and thick cut bacon and heirloom tomatoes, and then a fried egg on top.
1: No, on the inside. Fabulous. Uh, Right on the inside. Okay, Mm. I'll take it
3: whichever way. Jimmy Banos actually reminds me very much of the Fergus Hendersons of the world and our experience at St. John because he's very pork centric Mm -hmm. and he's very nose to tail. By the way, Kate Heading with us, executive editor of the book and the deputy food editor of Food & Wine magazine. Kate, tell us where else you dined that really just took your breath away.
6: Well, I'll tell you, it's so hard to pick just one, but here in New York, we have a couple of terrific restaurants that made the list. One is called Il Buco Alimentari. Justin Smiley is the chef there. It's a really fantastic Italian restaurant. His food is so, so full and Mm, so just dig deep good. Mm. He has his pasta. Some of his pastas were terrific. But to his credit, you know, sometimes what I love about a chef is he did something. This is spinach salad. Simple enough. But, you know, he takes a classic bagna cauda, um, which is a, a sort of an olive oil and anchovy dip that Italians do. He made it into a dressing. And I just love those things. It's such an easy thing, but it was so smart. Love it. I I mean, I highly recommend it if people come to New York to go to that restaurant.
3: We've been to Il Buco, by the way, Kate, not to interrupt you, and behind the velvet curtain. And we know that that new restaurant, the new addition to the family, must be spectacular. I love the vegetable inspiration in that piece as well in the book
6: dishes the sugar snap pea salad totally. simple enough we
1: have that page open right oh now. you do <laughs> okay.
6: well what's brilliant about this and i think this is another trend that people are going to start to see is this sort of savory granola who'd have thought but in and of itself it's delicious just to have as a snack with you know with a drink but here with this with these like sweet sugar snaps and the creamy ricotta cheese this is a winner this is a definite winner of a yeah. dish
3: oh. there's no it, doubt it's
1: done with kasha I think it's just brilliant. And called a
3: granola, too, which I think is such (laughs) a twist. I just love that. We were very proud, being Southern California-based, Kate, to see that an L.A. restaurant made the list. Yes. And Spice Table in an interesting part of L.A. and a small restaurant that has just slowly built an incredible name for itself.
6: Bryant is a super talent. Yes. He combines such an incredible sort of authentic style of cooking. He, he himself has such a terrific background and he I I mean, we love his food. I really love his food. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see but he does these um, curry fried chicken wings. Yes. again, blown away in the kitchen by how good they were. It was such a smart idea. The little things he does, he marinates the chicken for a little bit with some fish sauce and some curry powder. And then what he does that was so smart is he whisks the coating that he puts before he fries the chicken. It's a little coconut milk with the eggs. And they're perfect chicken wings. They were just Mm -hmm. perfect.
3: Okay, you're making me hungry. That's not fair. (laughs) Because <laughs> we know so much about Spice Table. And again, that is the restaurant in Los Angeles where Chef Bryant has made a name for himself, a spectacular rise in the food world, and one not to miss. And now all I want is curry chicken wings, I have to tell you. <laughs> or the, the fried cauliflower, going back to cauliflower, oh, with the tangy dipping sauce. That's yes. my
1: favorite recipe in there so far. Oh, with oh. the chilies mm. and
3: oh, mm. all that herbaceousness. Completely addictive. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And then you were alluding to two restaurants. So if I could guess your second one, I was going to say that it was Alex Stupak.
6: That's correct. Wow. It is Alex Stupak. Yeah, because this guy's
3: crazy good.
6: He's crazy good. Crazy you know, good. His background is as a pastry chef yes. and a molecular pastry chef at that, which is really kind of fascinating um, that he made this transition. He started with a, his taqueria, which was very casual sort of taco place. And then he went on to open M.P.O. and Cocina, which is a much more you know, advanced, I guess is the right word, Mexican restaurant, and he's doing fantastic things there.
3: It's like a taqueria, but totally 2015.
6: Right. Yeah, well, and that's exactly what he's always thinking. He's one step ahead of the rest of us when it comes to sort of where's Mexican food and and what can you do with it.
3: Like, for example, he makes guacamole with pistachios, right? Mm -hmm. And they're roasted and and yummy.
6: Simple enough and such a good idea. They're very good on there. It's such an easy thing to sort of... Mm say hey i want to you know i just want to make my guacamole a little different today
3: <laughs> and what might be one of the most simply artistic beautiful photos in the book which by the way the photos are, are evocative and and just absolutely so appealing the chipotle roasted baby carrots from alex that's one
6: of his signature oh. dishes at his restaurant but you said that you hit the, you hit it on the nose very very simple but just uh, taking those canned chip- uh, chipotle chilies in adobo and the sauce in that can and using that to flavor these carrots makes them so smoky and a little spicy. And, you know, they're naturally so sweet. It's a great dish.
3: We're making queso fondito with shrimp and tomatoes. Oh. Lana, will you make it first? In just a few minutes.
6: <laughs> You're picking, you are picking all of my favorite recipes oh. as we go through this book. Oh. This queso fondito is, oh, boy. So good. <laughs> and <laughs> chilaquiles.
3: I would sit down to chilaquiles with you anytime,
6: Kate we have to
3: go do that. Okay, I would like that. We were meant to be friends. It's a delight to have you for the first time here on the radio. And we know um, you're partner in crime at Food & Wine, of course, Dana Cowan, as well as Grace, the show. And we're proud to support and to partner because we are great Food & Wine fans. This is a book that will allow you to look forward into the world of restaurants and to be able to forecast who the best chefs are, where could that info come from better than Food & Wine, America's Greatest New Cooks, The cookbook is soon to release, and it is available at foodandwine.com forward slash book, so you can find it on amazon.com. We've excerpted a recipe as well at chefjamie.com, and it will link you through. And uh, this is certainly a book that I think, again, makes a great holiday gift and that no doubt will impress. This is for fabulous foodies, and it is for those chefs that are on the rise, and uh, we can't wait to continue to cook from it. So thank you, Kate. Thank you so much. A pleasure.
2: Sharing the best of culinary wisdom here. It really is a fabulous cookbook, and you want to pre-order yours now on Amazon.com, by the way, because we got a very exclusive copy, and I'm going to hoard mine, so you can't have it. (laughs) It's worth hoarding. Pretty great stuff. Here's another moment of culinary nirvana. All this hour, we're sharing quick Fixes, one, two, three ingredient ideas, recipes, suggestions, or even methods that will hopefully bring you great uh, culinary fame this holiday season. Lana, what's your next quick fix?
1: Oh, I have the best steak marinade.
2: Yes, you do. Actually, uh, two I'm ingredient.
1: <laughs> two ingredient. Yes, go for Whiskey it. Whiskey and balsamic vinegar.
2: Yeah, first equal of all, equal parts. There's something about the combo.
1: And everyone has Jack in their little yes. cabinets.
2: And if you're a gentleman, you have gentleman's jack, by the way. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, there's something about the balsamic vinegar that caramelizes when you mm. either sear or grill or somehow high heat cooking method mm-hmm. cook that steak. And so the balsamic vinegar, the, the vinegar adds tenderness, right? Mm-hmm. It, it definitely tenderizes the steak. And the whiskey has a sugar component to it as well. And Then you've got that oaky, sort of smoky, like you used a wood chip kind of idea and then you've got a two-ingredient mm. marinated that does everything. And how long for the marinade? Oh, preferably a, an hour or so, okay. and probably not more than a few. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need great. long, but be sure to reduce it down and glaze the steak. L- my last quick fix, uh, okay, want to make your own magic shell with the kids this weekend? Coconut butter and chocolate chips is so much better than the bottle. There you have it. There's another great quick fix. When we come back, more sweets right here in your radio. Don't go away.
0: Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle
2: bell, rock. Jingle bell swing. Welcome back, sharing
3: our outlook on the food world with you, Chef Jamie went along with Lana in your radio. This is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration. And this morning, we're exploring the sweet life from popcorn bark to bacon praline. Pastry chef Hetty Goldsmith makes desserts that are so delicious and delightful, and full of fun and flavor. And her new cookbook is Joyful, filled with sweets from our childhood homey and whimsical and craveable and cleverly delicious. I mean, what more could you want from a dessert book, right? Hetty Goldsmith is the executive pastry chef of Michael's Genuine Food and Drink, which has locations in Miami and Grand Cayman, and we're fans. She's a contributor to Cooking Channel's unique sweets, and her desserts have been featured everywhere. She was recently honored as well with a James Beard nomination for Outstanding Pastry Chef 2012 she joins us live for the first time, and we're delighted. Good morning, Hetty.
7: Good morning. Hi, uh, ladies. How are you? Very well,
3: and you? Oh, excellent. Oh, good. So glad. Well, congratulations. The book is so much fun. Oh, thank you. There's a light, wonderful whimsy to it, and that really is the style and, and your philosophy behind desserts, right?
7: Oh, absolutely. You know, I take what I do seriously, but I, I don't take myself so seriously. I just really wanted the consumer, the the home baker, to really just take the book and really have fun with it and not be intimidated Hmm. and to bake out loud in their own voice, you know.
3: That's exactly what it's called so that you can add the cookbook to your collection. It is called Baking Out Loud, Fun Desserts with Big Flavors, Hetty Goldsmith. We have a recipe excerpted from the book with a link to order your copy at chefjamie.com. And we'll get to pumpkin strusel brioche bread pudding in just a minute. That's the ultimate winter dessert, no doubt. But tell us, what are you baking now? We're just, you know, days before Christmas. So what's on your plate?
7: I'm doing a lot of uh, gingerbread. I mm-hmm. came up with a dark and stormy gingerbread, which I published on uh, thecookingchannel.com. It's really just jam-packed with fruit, and it has the most incredible ginger beer. So there's, it's just spicy, and it's sassy, and it's just uh, it's absolutely delicious and moist and gooey.
3: Love that. I use ginger beer in a lot of cocktails. I think it's very misunderstood.
7: Oh. Absolutely. We tend to make all of our own ginger beer um, at the restaurant, so I can kind of control the ginger and all the spices that goes into it, but I absolutely love it. I love Moscow Mule's. Mm, me dark too. And stormies.
3: Me too. I love that the dark and stormy cocktails translated into your gingerbread sort of combines uh, all <laughs> the best of what we love. Right? I mean, come on.
7: You know, it's funny. In the cookbook, I, I tend to uh, gravitate towards the crafted cocktail. I, I I look to mixologists for like the the cool and trending things that are happening, mm. and uh, because they the way they layer flavors, it's it's not unlike the way I layer flavors. So uh, a lot of my desserts are are kind of patterned after what I'm drinking at. a fabulous little cocktail
3: bar. So tell us what the pumpkin streusel brioche bread pudding was patterned after. Uh, we are bread pudding fans. I was raised on bread pudding from, you know, croissant bread pudding oh, to absolutely. Ooh, chocolate bread pudding made with either chocolate <laughs> bread or chocolate milk. Delicious. I know. I know, Love that. I, oh, please. I was raised by a great baker, so. Uh,
7: <laughs> I I unfortunately wasn't raised by a baker.
3: You're making up for it though. Yeah,
7: exactly. <laughs> my mother and my grandparent, my grandmothers were were not bakers at all. The uh, the pumpkin streusel bread pudding is like kind of putting a a little bit of every dessert that I absolutely love for the holidays. It's the streusel that I remembered from the apple pie. It's mm-hmm. the bread pudding. It's the pumpkin instead of the pumpkin pie. It's just. So womb food for me that it it it's it's absolutely it, it's amazing.
3: I love that word, womb food. (laughs) What a wonderful approach. That's great. And what I love about bread pudding too, Hetty, is it's something that you can make in advance, that you can sit out. It is better. So with Christmas here, I mean, this could be breakfast or it could be dessert, but talk us through, we could make it a day in advance. Could we rewarm it, make it individually or in a big, huge pan?
7: Oh, there's so many possibilities. You can make it several days in advance. i like to stale out my bread. Because I use brioche, I mean, you can use any type of bread that you want. But a few days out, cut the bread, let it sit out at room temperature, get a little bit of stale going on because it absorbs and holds up much better when it takes on all of that liquid. And you can bake it up to two, three days ahead of time. Keep it in the refrigerator and maybe an hour or two before service, before you're going to have dessert, pull it out. Mm. This way you can enjoy your family and friends. You don't have to be a slave to the kitchen. Pull it out and just reheat it in a low oven, about a 300-degree oven, and I think the flavors really develop as it sits. A lot of my desserts, I feel the same way. Anything that really has a lot of cinnamon and allspice and clove and all those wonderful holiday spices, they really take on a a much richer flavor profile.
3: Yeah, I agree. They have to sort of marry and meld and— Come together and talk with one another and exactly become play friends. Well, in the sandbox, yeah, then play well in the sandbox. I love it. Speaking of sandboxes, so much of our childhood memories come together when it comes to the sweets that we remember. So let's bake from baking out loud. You make a red velvet twink, and I yes. don't think there was ever a more appropriate time since no one can get their hands on one. Exactly,
7: timing was perfect yes. for this.
3: Timing is everything. So it's really a Twinkie, but made better by red velvet. I can't imagine how great this is.
7: It was delicious. And I put a little bit of a twist on it. I add goat cheese to uh, the cream cheese frosting because I think it adds a little bit of intrigue. It adds a little tart sour, which I Mm. absolutely love. You know, always playing with the balance and making sure that desserts are well balanced and not overly
3: sweet. I love that idea of the goat cheese. Inspire us. Do you use a lot of goat cheese, a lot of mascarpone. How can we add ricotta? I happen to be a, a goat cheese and mascarpone
2: diehard lover.
7: Exactly. I even use feta cheese. I um, Oh, how? I, I love salty. I have a panini in the book, a, a banana toffee panini, but I make it for the holidays in a very similar setup, except instead of using uh, the bananas and the toffee, I'll use sautéed apples or pears, crumble some uh, really delicious either French or Greek feta, So it adds that little bit of saltiness and a little bit of streusel press mm. the two you know slices of brioche together and put it in the panini press and mm. it's just warm and delicious and it oozes of the holiday
1: oh the picture in the book is absolutely gorgeous i want to eat that page <laughs> <laughs> i do Ooh, banana we toffee, just might. panini um. okay
3: if i can't get to the panini maker quick enough i might <laughs> slobber on the book let's take a tour of the recipes take us to overstuffed o's i mean again the ultimate sandwich cookie right
7: it really is it's you know, my love for Oreos, I, uh, truth be told, I was never really an Oreo fan. But the fact that this cookie, with the addition of uh, the cocoa nibs and mm. the chocolate, mm. I mean, it's really, it's an unbelievably rich cookie that just melts in your mouth. And I, I will tell you, I'll fill you in on a, a little secret. When customers come to the restaurant at Michael's Genuine, I throw a batch of these into the oven. And the smell is intoxicating. I sell more dessert when I bake these cookies. It's just, it's unbelievable.
3: I love that because I've always been one to say that whether you love to cook or love to eat, Hetty, you'll listen to this show. And even if you put a saute pan of cinnamon sugar on the stove when people come over and you order takeout... They're still hungry when they walk in the door, when they get that (laughs) waft of sweetness coming through. That's
7: that's great. I love that.
3: It's true. I mean, I'd much rather walk into the restaurant and have an overstuffed, oh, mind you, Um, but the s'mores brownies, oh, right up my alley because I love a brownie, but I like a brownie packed with everything.
7: Oh, this has, this is jam packed.
3: So if you want to elevate your brownie recipe, we're two days away from Christmas at this point, how do you add the marshmallow flavor?
7: store-bought, you can make your own marshmallows, um, you can make your own graham crackers, or you can even buy graham crackers, either way. And then once the, uh, the brownie batter is made, fold in all these yummy things and just bake it. And it's, it's unbelievable. The marshmallows get all melty and and ooey-gooey, and the graham cracker just softens slightly but still has a great texture, and it's like a counterpoint against that real fudgy brownie, that kind of mm. crispy, buttery cookie mm. with a little bit of cinnamon sugar. Mm. It's, a, it's a great combination. Okay,
3: Hetty, if I didn't like you already, <laughs> I fell for you when the Mexican hot chocolate wedding cookies— Oh, my favorite. Oh page turned right and so uh i will say and uh, this is just the ultimate i i think and it's a cookie exchange kind of time right mm-hmm. a kind of season there oh, is sure. nothing better than a wedding cookie
7: oh i love that sandy quality to oh, that wedding cookie and yes a little bit of intrigue that little bit of chipotle um, smoky heat really just just takes this cookie and just puts it in a whole different league
3: mm. okay i'm in Oh, I'm so making these. Oh. Absolutely. What a great thing to bring for a cookie exchange to a party Mm -hmm. as a hostess gift. It's a great
7: unique cookie it really is
3: and they're small enough that you could almost drop them like into a mason jar wrap a ribbon and then take them with you what a great idea i think that mm-hmm. would work okay you're known for this cookie <laughs> the junk in the, the trunk. trunk yeah and we'll we'll leave at this so this is this is your final word hetty talk to us because <laughs> i think that this cookie definitely has defined your glorious career
7: oh you know, it's true. I mean, I made this cookie for years, and it's it's transformed it, into many different cookies. Whatever leftover candy you have, whatever leftover little bits of pretzel, potato chips, anything that you have, old coffee grinds, you can throw everything into this cookie, and it's just unbelievable, and it changes constantly. If you like Fritos, you throw Fritos in there. Potato chips, that salty sweet, it's unbelievable. This little cookie... I think I have a
3: cult following for this cookie. (laughs) I think you have a lot of loyal fans for this cookie. (laughs) These are wonderful recipes that really are joyful, and they'll have you jumping for joy. The new book from Hetty Goldsmith called Baking Out Loud, Fun Desserts with Big Flavors. Her pumpkin streusel brioche bread pudding recipe excerpted at chefjamie.com. And we know that you certainly will have a sweet holiday, Hetty. and um, I'll be making bacon
1: praline, so we will too. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. I love your, it. Your recipes are so approachable for the home cook, Hetty.
7: I was afraid that they wouldn't be, but I really think that we hit the, the nail on the head here. I want home bakers to just to grab the book and just be able to flip through the book and just pick out a recipe and just really not be intimidated because mm-hmm. so many people are intimidated by baking and they really they, they needn't be.
3: They certainly needn't be, especially when it comes to this panini. Check out HedyGoldsmith.com, H-E-D-Y Goldsmith.com to learn more. And there is more delicious conversation right here in your radio, making you hungry as the minutes pass. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: It's eating and drinking like you've never done before. We thank you for continuing to listen to the delicious conversation. Chef Jamie went along with Lana, sharpening your cooking skills and pleasing your palate. Christmas is just a couple of days away, and whether you're making an extra batch of cookies today or looking for fun and easy appetizers, you'll find us serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. We put together a Christmas dinner menu for you this year that we hoped to share in order to inspire you. Maybe your menu is missing that extra special something, or you need an additional dish to add to the menu just to accommodate, you know, those few extra stragglers. And so, Lana, I love the idea of the starter course. And by the way, this would make a perfect uh, cocktail party addition. This would be great for football. Um, All of the ideas here are definitely uh, very holiday versatile, I'd like to say. Mm -hmm. But the idea of using the Melissa's Baby Vegetables as a crudité is brilliant.
1: Oh, it just look so beautiful. Yes. And uh, with an herb, lemon, olive oil.
2: Or a variety of, I mean, really. Or
1: vinaigrette.
2: Vinaigrette or any dip that you mm-hmm. like. Instead of putting out cut vegetables this holiday season, buy the baby vegetables that, in fact, you saw Ida Rodriguez put together mm-hmm. as a centerpiece uh, as a, in a gift basket, per se, for the center of your table as mm-hmm. a holiday centerpiece. And then let everybody snack from the edible Beauty. I love that idea. So starting out your Christmas dinner with a baby vegetable crudité, just beautiful.
1: And then on to a crostini.
2: Yeah, I think everything needs texture. So, you know, a good crostini French bread sliced thin and baked on a cookie sheet drizzled with olive oil um, just until it's golden and you could season it or flavor it with fresh herbs if you wanted, or sea salt or your favorite spice like cumin uh, or pimentone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of my um, food trend forecasts for 2013 coming up next Sunday. I will give you my list of my top 10 forecasts for the coming year in food, so please stay tuned i love this crostini idea mm. a little fruit a little salad a little speck and yes. then
1: a little arugula and then a little just shave thin uh, persimmon
2: on the mandolin mm-hmm. would be just perfect and persimmons are available now and pretty and beautiful yes and i love the idea of speck or uh, you could use your favorite ham from either Italy or Spain, whether you're a prosciutto de parma lover, uh, if you happen to love Spanish serrano, that's a really nice way to give a little bit of a hearty bite to kick off your meal. Mm-hmm. And then as an actual cheese course, because apples and pears, and especially the hundreds of heirloom varieties that are available right now, uh, drive us to eat with the season, I love the idea of doing a baked apple that's been stuffed with baby romaine leaves, and Stilton or goat cheese, and some pomegranate arils, and some toasted hazelnuts, and a simple sherry vinaigrette. Mm-hmm. And because you're coring the apples when you roast them, you get that sweet caramelized flavor, and essentially you've given yourself a vase to toss the greens in a mixing bowl and then gather them together like a bouquet and stick them right into that hole in the apple. If you oh. can imagine the presentation, Beautiful it's Beautiful presentation.
1: Just fabulous.
2: Absolutely. And then for the main course, hmm uh, repeating turkey from Thanksgiving, but better. Oh, yeah.
1: braised turkey legs?
2: Yeah, see, long, mm. slow cooking, almost like a confit. Pick your favorite uh, sauce, and you can infuse fabulous flavor. Mm. Uh, lots of sage and garlic.
1: And brown the legs, the thighs, the breasts, you know, with <clears throat> sausage and bacon. Mm. You want to add that flavor profile to mm. it. Yeah. It's lovely, and also I mean... apple cider works well to braise in i always like to add that to my braising liquid
2: i like the subtle sweetness of it and when you braise you know you cook long and slow and there's no need to worry you can do it on top of the stove or even in the oven Uh, alongside roasted brussels sprouts with crispy pancetta and maybe horseradish mashed mashed potatoes to spike up the flavor and then for dessert uh, back to those heirloom apples I love the idea of a bread pudding we just talked about with Hetty. It gets better day after day.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't it, though? Uh, The uh, roasted Brussels sprouts done with some crisp pancetta. Don't forget to crisp the pancetta first and then add it to the Brussels sprouts. Yes, and a big... A little bit of braising liquid in there would be nice as well. A little cider vinegar.
2: I'm going back to dessert. A holiday cookie platter. Let everybody bring their signature family cookie. And uh, gather a platter together and then sit down for cookies and milk or hot chocolate at the mm-hmm. end of your meal and let everybody talk about uh, a Christmas memory that they have mm-hmm. to uh, to bring it all together. What a wonderful way to end uh, a big holiday feast. I love that idea. Okay, on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen, these quick fixes, they're getting a lot of attention. So let's finish this hour with a couple more, what we call, of our last bite. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the last quick fix that you mentioned, Lana, was... Uh, let's see. Oh, I
1: talked about the steak marinade. That's
2: right. Okay. I talked about
1: whiskey and balsamic.
2: How to make your own magic shell, coconut Mm -hmm. butter and chocolate chips. Mm -hmm. Um, We should never forget about eggnog French toast because you never have to mix milk, eggs and sugar together again, right? The custard's made for you. And eggnog, this is a a commodity right now. I mean, limited time offering, right? So (laughs) uh, definitely buy a good bottle of Brugier's Eggnog at Bristol Farms, if you can still get your hands on one, pour it over the bread, Mm -hmm. bake off your French toast, and sit and eat in heaven. Mm. Mm. So good. If you're looking for a simple starter, dates stuffed with gorgonzola, Mm -hmm. a great quick fix, two ingredient, simple starter. If you're looking for a brilliant breakfast the day after, um, tomato and baked egg, breakfast uh what we call also eggs in purgatory where you cook down tomatoes and you season them well and you nestle the eggs and then you bake them off two ingredients blows everybody Mm -hmm. everybody away full of flavor
1: and besides my raisin marinade for my chicken or the glaze glaze.
2: and by the way chicken or ham
1: but the marinade for a great ham is ginger ale and mustard together Two simple ingredients.
2: Yes, it is. And we'll leave it at that. If you're looking to add flavor and moisture to your holiday ham, you heard it here, ginger ale... And mustard. And we hope that you'll continue to sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate every Sunday as we are live with you next Sunday just before we ring in the new year. Please join us as we share the best of Italian holiday desserts. Also, we'll talk cheese and pear with wine. Plus, we're getting a sparkling wine or champagne tutorial from the sommelier for the people, Master Sommelier Michael Jordan of the Ranch Restaurant and Saloon in Anaheim. Plus, Alex Hitz of the Beverly Hills cookbook and Susan Feniger is adding a little spice. She'll be with us live as well. So please do tune in next Sunday, December 30th for our live new year's Eve show right here on KFWB news talk 980 8am to 10am every Sunday morning. Uh, Lana and I want to take a moment to wish you and your family a wonderful Christmas. May you gather together and enjoy the beauty of, and the bounty of the season. Um, Truly uh, to keep safe and to know that we intend to continue to grow uh, what we all love uh, about this great country and that is the safety and the prosperity that we all live with, that peace of mind every day. In 2013, we hope that you eat, drink and be merry and that you do have a delicious feast. You can find us at chefjamie.com all throughout the holidays with lots of delicious inspiration and we thank you for so many years of listening to this show and we hope you'll continue to listen in the new year as well uh, be sure to tune in next sunday beginning at 8 a.m we'll be right here uh, a big thank you to bristol farms melissa's produce la victoria and fleming's prime steakhouse and wine bar for making this show happen lana i wouldn't do it without you you are the reason and this i show wouldn't do it without you every sunday that's a good <laughs> thing and we wouldn't do it without steve or michael either so thank you guys very much a very very merry christmas to a delicious holiday season, we'll see you here next Sunday. Thanks for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off along with Lana. We hope you continue to eat well.
0: The preceding program has been brought to you by TasteBud Entertainment.